It's not uncommon for a company during a hurricane to have a backlog of 200 projects, and it's just you're getting to them as you can get to them. You know, if you have a relationship ahead of time, it gives you the opportunity to move up the list and get addressed quicker. Welcome to the Failover Plan Podcast. I'm Shane Matthew. My first experience with restoration services happened in 2007. I got a call from a major IT project team that had been housed in a building off campus due to space. A worker from our own facilities team had been doing some routine maintenance in the attic of this older building and chose the wrong place to step. His foot went through a 40-year-old plastic pipe that held thousands of gallons of fire sprinkler water. When I walked up on scene, I remember seeing workers coming out of the building, carting their belongings and computers out on their roller chairs. The building was out of commission for weeks while it dried and was repaired. Now, the classic water damage scenario isn't as scary as it once was, with the improvement of work-from-home capability. But BC professionals still need to consider what would happen if they were faced with a unique scenario in which they require the help of a restoration company. Particularly, it's helpful to understand how these teams work and why pre-planning with these companies is a good idea. This week on the show, we're interviewing Ricky Wells, the general manager at ServiceMaster Advanced Restorations. Ricky has been helping companies restore their facilities after major fires, spills, and disruptions, and he's a big advocate for the act of pre-planning for these events. We're also going to hear what his company is doing in the age of COVID, when offices are trying to wrap their heads around the clean versus COVID clean, and what that really means. As always, we're glad to have you join us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on our website, failoverpodcast.com, or on iTunes. This week, we're excited to announce you have yet another way to access the show. The Failover Plan podcast is now available on Amazon Music, which has started its own podcast platform. So while you're buying your next round of those elusive Lysol wipes, you can download past episodes. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get on with the show. All right, cool. Well, great. Uh, thanks for joining me, Ricky Wells. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, as I mentioned before, Ricky is the uh, leader of Service Master Advanced Restorations. You can find him at RestoreSmart.com. But uh, Ricky and I know each other for other reasons. We both play in our church worship team, so we get to know each other in that way. But I'm excited to learn more about Ricky's work in restoration because as a business continuity professional, I've had to deal with restorations uh, in the past, but largely we had some in-house resources that addressed all my needs as the BC manager um, and our facilities team, but they had to work with people like Ricky and his team. So Ricky, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know your, your company and what you do and, and how you kind of got into that role because it's definitely a unique part of the industry. Sure. Uh, so we do disaster restoration. So um, this is basically, and we do both commercial and residential, but uh, basically if you have, if there's a claim like a fire loss or a tornado or hurricane, uh, something of that nature, um, and it devastates a property, we're the company that comes in and uh, cleans it up. And uh, we're considered what's a full service disaster restoration company, meaning that we handle everything from start to finish from the property side, meaning we'll handle reconstruction as well as, you know, dry out if it's a water or something of that nature. So um, as far as how I got into the industry, so I actually 
back when I was in college, I was uh, I just took a job with a restoration company and didn't intend oh. for it to stick. And uh, <laughs> uh, by the time I'm graduating college, I realize I really like disaster restoration because I'm uh, basically we have the opportunity to help people who are going through a crisis. And, uh, and so there's very much a personal touch, um, you know, even more so on the residential side, but also with commercial, you're dealing with people's livelihoods and, uh, and specifically talking to business continuity. Um, that's an essential part of how a business survives uh, a disaster uh, is if they've taken the steps and they've done the pre-planning to prepare themselves to uh, make it through uh, such a disaster. Right. So it's, right, um, right, right, right. so anyway, I've kind of, uh, been in it ever since and so i've just uh it's interesting how our careers work that way right where we kind of fall into it in some ways i've heard a lot of stories that way in in the podcast of people kind of saying i was there whenever it was needed and i stuck with it since so it's really neat to see that your career uh has been in it for a while so you know when when you're thinking about these types of activities what what are some of the common events that you get called out to uh, when it comes to the commercial side, you know, is it all the major fires and things like that, or is it, is it different? So it's, um, it's actually a variety of things. So we, we certainly get calls for the major events, the things you would expect, uh, tornadoes hit, hurricanes hit, um, a, a fire occurred, uh, a pipe broke in a wall, those kinds of things. But w- what I see is we develop lots of relationships with, uh, commercial properties, uh, and we develop plans ahead of time so that they have somebody to call when disaster strikes. And what ha- what occurs with that is they end up calling us for basically most of the things that don't fall in their normal scope of business. So um, we've done uh, we have a contract with a large box store that uh, you know has tons of properties across our area. And they'll call us because the trash compactor stopped working, and so they got too much trash outside. So we'll go clean mm. that up. Or a fire occurred uh, outside the property and it smoked up the side. And so they need somebody to come clean that up. Um, Or they'll call us for the pipe break in the wall or uh, something of that nature. So, you know, as far as what's typical, um, what's interesting about our industry is the calls are never typical because we get such a (laughs) wide variety. Right. And, and, And we do some unique things, too. So we do biohazard and trauma cleanup. We do uh, hoarding cleanup and disaster uh, preparation. Um, We do, you know, general cleaning, deep cleanings, things of that nature on top of your normal uh, disaster related work. Wow. Okay. So what type of businesses typically, you know, contract with you? Is it just you're the first number in the phone directory kind of thing? Or is it that they, they, uh, I mean, like small businesses, big businesses, what's it look like? So it's, it's kind of all across the board. So we've done, uh, we've done work for everything from large, you know, uh, international companies to uh, a small uh, business that has a single location uh, in our area. So, um, I mean, there's a range. And and as far as how those relationships are developed, sometimes it's, um, you know, perhaps they had a loss and we were involved in the claim from for some capacity, like an insurance adjuster called us. And mm. then they, we developed the relationship and then, you know, we uh, created a disaster recovery plan for them. And then from that point forward, we kind of became their vendor. Um, other times it's, uh, you know, it's another business business to relationship that we might, uh, um, we might be referred to them by somebody else. Um, right. Um, I mean, like anything, it's, it's a small world, right? So when you start working with 
um, you know, property managers and people of that sort, then they know other people. So if you take good care of them, they call others. Right. So, um, but yeah, as far as the size companies, it's, it's kind of all across the board. Um, do, and do you find like the bigger companies are more prepared to deal with these types of things? Yeah. And, and that's something I'd point out too, is that, so one of the struggles I think for a smaller company is just being, um, proactive and prepared. Cause I think a lot of times when you're a small company, um, you know, you're, you're wearing a lot of hats in every position. And so also being prepared for a disaster is pretty challenging and, uh, and having business continuity plans in place, uh, those kinds of things, uh, don't see that happening as much. So mm. that's why a lot of small companies, it's because they've had a claim and, or they've dealt with something already. So now they recognize the need for it. Um, you know, we try to encourage, and you do have forward thinking, uh, companies that, uh, are prepared, you know, and, and maybe they came from a corporate world. So they kind of see this side of things. And so then when they get to running their own company, they, they're conscientious about making mm -hmm. sure they're prepared mm -hmm. for whatever happens. So I, I think a great example is what's happened with COVID is interesting because it's, it's been devastating to a lot of small companies, you know, and how do you plan for it and how do you prepare for it? And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of a object example preparing for something that you've never experienced before. Right. Right. So, so help me help the audience understand a little bit about the process. So like, let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, an event and then we'll talk about pre-event. So in an event, you know, say it's a major event then, and they, and, and you get the call, uh, mm -hmm to come in and help, um, clean up and, and then ultimately, you know, take some action. Like, what's that look like? You know, and, and what are some things that you would, would say most BC professionals don't necessarily expect, uh, when they, when they go through something like this? Sure. So, um, as an example, uh, we, uh, we actually did a, uh, a fire loss for a company last year that was like a large convenience store, uh, they had two restaurants inside the store. Um, they had a, a plant, uh, like a jerky plant in the store as well. Um, and they were a chain. So the jerky plant actually uh, provided product to all their other stores across the area. So it supplied another 30 stores. So um, one of the restaurants had a fire and uh, it basically got out of hand. Firefighters came, put the fire out. We got involved once the insurance uh, adjuster got involved. And so uh, we got called out to deal with it pretty quickly um, within uh, 24 hours of the event. Um, the first thing we had to deal with was the water uh, from the firefighters because water's um, fire is damaging, but water is more pressing typically and can be more damaging. And so we had to address that pretty quickly. Um, we had to bring out large uh, trailer mounted uh, dehumidifiers, desiccant dehumidifiers to help dry the structure. So these are the ones they set outside on a flatbed trailer. You duct them into the unit to control uh, the moisture inside the building. In addition to that, you know, you may have fans and other drying equipment to help dry the structure. So that's kind of the first so step. Why, why is the humidifier part uh, important? So like, uh, it's a uh, so dehumidifier, but the dehumidifier pulls moisture out of the air. And with a desiccant dehumidifier, it basically, it pulls enough moisture out that it's really dry air coming into the facility. And the dry air acts like a sponge and soaks up the air. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, soaks up the water 
that's mm. in the structure. So it helps facilitate the drying. So if, as an example, if you, um, like in your home, if you ever like uh, use the fan in your bathroom, um, that fan yeah. is to exhaust that wet air out. If you don't use the fan to remove the moisture from the room, then if you're trying to dry your hair, it'll stop working because, you know, the hair dryer is just basically have really wet air is trying to push across your hair. Ah. There's no room left in it. There's no. Uh, well, luckily, my hair is getting shorter and shorter <laughs> as the days go by. Yes. So <laughs> yes, yes. I have to deal with that. OK, so. All right. So you, you're dealing with these types. You bring in the equipment you need. Yep. Like what's going on with the communication between you and the organization that you're working for? How, how does that work? So we pretty much, we identify pretty early on who's going to be the point person for uh, the company. And sometimes that's a property manager, uh, depending on the facility, or it might be somebody associated with the business. So once we know who their point person is, we have a project manager that's assigned and all the communication goes through our project manager. Uh, the project manager, basically, they're tasked with uh, running the communication for the project with timetable schedules, uh, updates on what we were able to do, and uh, those kinds of things. So, um, so yeah, so the, uh, and in this case, so you got a variety of things. You're dealing with water, you're dealing with fire, so there's cleaning involved, there's also um, you know, specialty equipment. We have dry blasting machines uh, to do some uh, some of the cleanup, and then. But we also have the issue of they have this plant that's down that's supplying all their other stores, so we have to uh, figure out how to get them up and running as quick as possible. So and yeah. so there's power issues too. There's no power to the building, but they have to have power to the plant, so we have to bring in temporary power. Um, and so pretty early on, we have. Um, Within a day, we have drying equipment set up. And then um, within that same day, we're already starting to outline, uh, guess, the priority list of what needs to be done and how quickly. So wow. what's interesting about this, this is a prepared company who kind of has a plan in place. They've dealt with disasters before, so they already have an infrastructure for how to handle this. So they have a point person okay. pre uh, set up already. Uh, juxtaposed to that is you could have uh, we've done uh, similar claims same kind of issue where it's a lot more chaotic because the company d has no pre-planning ahead they've uh, not thought toward what to do if a disaster happens ah. so because of that um, they don't have a point person they don't know who's going to make the call and then you get three different answers and so you're trying to communicate with three or four people and it's not clear who's making the final decisions and sometimes the decisions are conflicting, and so you just have a lot of chaos. So those situations, it's it's more difficult for everyone. Um, right. and, and when we run into that, you know, we're it makes our job harder. But uh, you know, we just have to over communicate. We're you know trying to send the messages out to anyone, and just make sure everyone's kept in the loop, and then just hoping that the right person makes the decisions. Right. So. <laughs> right. So look, if if you're working with the insurance you know, adjusters. And is there any decisions that a, a company has to make about the way you respond? You know, say for example, there's, you bring in a jet engine <laughs> desiccant <laughs> dehumidifier versus a standard one you plug into the wall. Like, is there choices like that, that you have to think about there, in the midst of something like that? I mean, this? there is, and we're providing the guidance. I mean, we're the experts. And so we're telling them what, uh, needs to happen as far as the dry out and, and the insurance is 
it's it's kind of a whole different facet. So some companies you're dealing with a whole separate insurance company. Some companies are partially self-insured, so you're dealing with more of a risk uh, yeah. risk assessment person or risk manager. And so uh, it, it depends on the company as to how they're insured, as to how the insurance comes into play. Um, and right. there's, there's typically an approval process for certain items that, you know, you got to get this approved before you can do it. But for the most part, the decisions the company has to make is more about their priorities. So it's more about how long, yeah, and how long can you be down before it's devastating to your company? Um, so, and so back to the example of a, a small company that's not prepared, what a small company may not realize, maybe they carry insurance and maybe they've thought enough ahead that their insurance has like a, a loss of use, right? So if their if their business is down for a while, they get money for however long their business is down. And that sounds great. And that sounds good. And maybe it's even a decent amount of money. But how long do your clients wait for you? Right. Because if you're out of business for long enough, your customers have moved on. So, you know, once eventually you're back up and running and maybe at that point you're out of business because yeah. um, your customers have moved on. So it's there's there's a lot more facets to it than just you know uh, can I get money to cover me while I'm down that kind of thing. So companies that are yeah. prepared they know that, and so they typically time is the most important factor. Getting up and running quickly uh, is the most significant thing. And so yeah, sometimes you're working you know in the middle of the night you're you're working uh, extra hours because the the loss of income is more significant than perhaps your restoration cost. Yeah, absolutely. So is there things that uh, you've seen that that the company who's prepared, you know, you mentioned the pre-loss kind of discussion or agreement. I'd love to hear about that. But is there any other things that you say, hey, if, if you're if you're wanting to be ahead of the game, these are the things you need to think about before I show up on scene to, to start work? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would think as as a company, you always have to think of those uh, those doomsday type scenarios. So, um, and there's some common ones that you could run into. So you got to think about what am I going to do if I have a devastating fire? You know, what am I going to do if I have a, a major water loss, those kinds of things. And, you know, the most important thing I think you can do is develop relationships ahead of time, which kind of ties into what you were alluding to, uh, you know, kind of a, a pre-disaster plan or disaster recovery plan or something of that nature. And, and mm-hmm. that kind of lets your people know who to call um, but even then there's some challenges. So what I run into a lot is we develop a relationship with the company. We might've done some work for them, uh, you know, small water losses, things of that nature. We'll put together, yeah. uh, what we call a disaster recovery plan, um, for the property, which basically details, you know, if you have a water loss, you're going to call us and here's the steps we're going to take. And it kind of walks them through the right. process of a fire loss or a water loss or, uh, you know, a tornado or, or whatever the case may be. And kind of walks them through wow. that process. But the key things we need back from them is who makes the decision to make the call, right? So because the, the calls don't happen at convenient times. So at 3 a.m., you have a fire in the building. Who's going to actually get that call for your company to make a decision? Because if mm. you've identified the wrong person, then they don't know who to call. So they're just calling somebody out of the phone book, not knowing that you already have a plan in place. So yeah, the, yeah. the value of the plan is it kind of expedites the process. So there's a lot of things that we can kind of do up front to help prepare. Um, we do everything from, um, so we use a, a 3D imaging camera uh, called a Matterport. Uh, you've probably seen it before, like in real estate and things like that. It, it 
puts together yeah, that yeah. virtual 3D uh, tour of a home. We use that a lot in pre-planning and uh, and disaster recovery because we can capture an image of a of a structure and then keep it. And so then, if you have damage, um, one of my people can look it up, you know, and they can check it out even before our teams are on site. So wow, it helps us, you know. And so that's sometimes sometimes that's something we do. We might only capture a small portion in area. Um, disaster recovery plans would be like uh, identifying where are your gas shutoffs, where are your water shutoffs, like where are the where are the areas that we need to know where they're located and we need to get to them quick uh, to help you recover right. from uh, from a major disaster. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So the pre 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 uh, loss kind of discussion is vitally important. It seems for for expediency. So if you have got a you got a recovery time of four hours or less, like a lot of the companies I know have uh, processes. And if that depends on a facility being available to do that, then having these types of relationships can help, you know, so, so in major disaster events, like you, you mentioned hurricanes or tornadoes, how does that pre-loss or kind of that agreement in play, how does that help um, in those situations? So, and honestly, the, that's really kind of the ideal situation for having a disaster recovery plan. Cause what happens is, I mean, if you had, a random major fire loss or water loss, you can find a company to help you. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can find somebody, you can probably get somebody quickly uh, and, you know, they'll come out and get started. Where it's difficult is when you have a major event that comes through and the entire city is affected. So now you have mm. an exorbitantly high amount of property damage and most companies are dealing with it on a first come first serve basis. So now, you're going to make call after call. And they're going to be like, I can't get to you. I'm four days out, you know, maybe. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah. if you have that relationship ahead of time, you have a disaster recovery plan, um, you know, you're prioritized. So basically you go on a different list and uh, it's all the, you know, it's essentially all the, the companies that don't have that, that struggle getting work done um, because just the, the workload's too high. There's not enough companies in those capacities, even with people coming in. So when a hurricane hits, um, companies from all over the U.S. might go into that area, uh, into the hurricane area to handle work. But even with that, it's still overloaded. It's not uncommon for a company during a hurricane to have a backlog of 200 projects. And, uh, oh my and it's goodness. just you're getting to them as you can get to them. And your people are tired. They're running 24-7. So the you know if you have a relationship ahead of time, it gives you the opportunity to move up the list and get addressed quicker. And so that, that's right. really the, I guess, the advantage. The stronger yeah. relationship you have uh, with your vendor, then the, the better service you're going to get. Right, right. So let's shift gears a little bit because I think one of the obvious common topics that most of us face and are facing right now is the, the, the aspect of COVID. Mm -hmm. But your company does something unique. I, I wasn't expecting when I was first talking with you about COVID. What, what's your response been or how, how, how have you been involved with companies around uh, COVID? So um, yeah, COVID is kind of, uh, you know, it's something that's affecting all of us at this point. Um, we adapted pretty quickly um, into COVID and it was kind of a good fit for us as far as cleanup for COVID uh, because we did very similar things in the past. So we do biohazard yeah. and trauma cleanup. We've done cleanup for, you know, other viruses and things of that nature. So pretty early on, we uh, developed a uh, uh, basically three protocols that we use for COVID cleaning. And um, two of them are proposed for preventative cleaning. 
um, which kind of helps keep your facility clean and disinfected, you know, to help you keep from getting uh, uh, somebody contaminated in the facility. And the other one is a confirmed case. So if you have somebody uh, who's confirmed uh, as had COVID, um, then this process is obviously a much more exhaustive cleaning. And so, yeah. so we use these three different levels of cleaning uh, based on the client. And so what's interesting is, so a lot of your larger companies are going to be concerned with, you know, being down, you know what I mean? Like uh, if they have a team that's out, that's pretty disastrous for them. And so we have some companies where we're doing regular uh, preventative cleaning, like maybe once a week. Uh, we're going out and cleaning their facility and specific areas. Um, other companies really just don't deal with it until they have to. So then they have a confirmed case and then they might do cleaning uh, at that mm. point. But at that point, you're also dealing with a much more expensive, exhaustive cleaning um, in the process. And so, um, you know, and then you you have another one that's kind of in between that deals with high touch surfaces as well as horizontal surfaces um, as yeah. well. So. So it's been interesting. It's been interesting for me to see, I guess, the reaction of companies. So some are real proactive, some are real reactive, some don't do anything. So I've, I mean, I can tell you a variety of stories <laughs> about COVID. <laughs> um, everything from, you know, companies that, uh, you know, uh, we got 12 cases here and, you know, but we don't want anything done. We just want you to come and uh, <laughs> look at it and do a janitorial clean kind of a thing versus, you know. Really? Yeah. So, well, I yeah, think it's probably all over the place, right? With the way people have been responding because of just the information is coming in. We're still learning. But, you know, I'm curious to know because as we move more and more, uh, you know, into a little bit more freer activities where companies are starting to maybe open their workplaces or at least planning for that, yep. you know, what should companies think about uh, if they haven't, you know, yet established a relationship or feel like they need to have these types of services, what could they expect in, in that, in the service itself? So, um, so yeah, so there's, you know, typically you have, you have different levels of cleaning based on, you know, I guess the, your contamination or your or more, I guess, your risk level, right? What kind of risk you're willing to take as a company. So at, at yeah. the, the lowest level would be like a fogging or a hydrostatic spraying of this of the facility with an EPA registered product for COVID. So that, that's kind of the lowest level. And then you have cleaning protocols above and beyond that. So at right. the very least, um, you know, doing real exhaustive cleanings with your current janitorial staff uh, is it's something that you can do to help and then, of course, using social protocols and things like that in place just to kind of help control exposure. What What's interesting, too, and I think a frustration for a lot of, of business managers and business owners is that the protocols have changed over time. So as we learn more and more about the virus, like the cleaning, like, uh, you know, how you clean it has changed. And so some properties oh, okay. that early on were having us do pretty much uh, exhaustive cleaning, top-down, vertical surfaces, horizontal surfaces, uh, hydrostatic spraying. We were doing pretty exhaustive cleanings for them initially, um, have kind of relaxed some of their standards. And so now um, they're doing less cleaning, but part of that's related to, you know, information that changed with CDC and uh, just as, as everything evolves, so do the protocols. So that's just something yeah. to keep in mind as well. Interesting. Well, this has been interesting to me. I, I, I'm fortunate enough not to have had a direct 
requirement to call in your services. But I mean, it's obvious to me that there's many busy professionals that still need to consider this, even in the age of COVID. We will eventually get back to work, if not already, in the facilities themselves. So having these types of aspects to their planning is vitally important. Now, now, when when people are, are uh, kind of, if they haven't addressed this yet, you know, is it as simple as just giving a call to a company like yours and starting the ball rolling with that discussion? Is there anything they need to uh, to prepare for themselves with like their insurance or anything like that before they talk to you? Uh, no, I mean, really, it is a call because I, I haven't seen much. I don't think there's much in the way of insurance uh, coverage for something like this. So most companies are just kind of it's it's their decision. They got to make a cost analysis and decide oh, what makes sense. But there's lots of things to kind of keep in mind too, because you're not just managing, um, you know, you're not just managing uh, the virus. You're also managing your employees, and you're managing your customers and expectations and concerns. And and so I, I, some companies, you know, are doing a lot of cleaning, but more for the perspective and the peace of mind for their customers and their employees. Um, you know, and they may not have outbreaks. They may not have had anything, but they still want to do this, these kinds of cleanings. And then, you know, others are just kind of ignore it. So, um, like I said, yeah. it's, it's responses all across the board. And, you know, and I don't, I don't know that, uh, uh you just got to, I guess, assess your own risk and look at your own situation, identify, uh, you know, what you need to do for your employees and your customers. Right. Well, Ricky, thank you for joining me today. I think this has been really informative, especially uh, the aspect of the pre-planning part. We, we as professionals in the BC world love to pre-plan. So right. this is this is interesting. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of people have already kind of thought about this, but uh, because our minds are so focused on COVID, you know, we forget that there is the still the potential for these real life scenarios happening to our facilities that we've got to uh, be prepared for. So thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fail of a Plan podcast. You can find out more about Ricky Wells and Service Master Advanced Restoration by visiting our website, failoverpodcast.com. There you'll find several links that Ricky wanted to share with our listeners. This week, subscribe to the podcast by visiting failoverpodcast.com or finding us on iTunes and now on Amazon Music. And thanks again for listening. And remember, why learn how to do something on your own? And there's got to be someone else who may have already learned this the hard way. <laughs>